Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am here again on Friday, Frontline Friday, with my usual and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you today? I am doing great, Andy. What's it's good? It's end of quarter for us. It's end of quarter. So I say great. In air and quotes. It's in air quotes with it's good and busy and all the things that come with the close of a month or a quarter and all that. So um, It's how you know you're alive. Oh, boy. I know I'm alive. I definitely know I'm alive. The adrenaline pumping. That's right. Yeah, I was just telling you, I... <laughs> You don't miss it. I don't miss that. Having worked at, uh, as I said, eight different venture-funded startup companies with the board paying a lot of attention, and even just other companies with board paid attention. But I mean, yeah, yeah, not, uh, I haven't missed that the last few years. Well, you know, it's, it's one thing that, you know, people, when they are aspiring or think that they want to be in, let's say, the VP of sales or even a director, the responsibility and just that pressure, you, you've got to be able to have a constitution and a mental attitude that can take it because it's, it's a lot. And as you said, with a board, you know, I heard recently that if the board is, if you have a board who is really hyper-focused on your company, it's a sign that they they think very highly also of the company mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're putting a lot of um kind of a lot of, a lot of eggs in that basket so it's the it's two sides of a coin um it's great to have all eyes on because they are very invested they want to be helpful they've got um you know they've they've got high uh, expectations mm-hmm. and yet there's also the there's also the pressure associated with it but it comes with the job it comes with the territory. That's part of it. Yeah. I mean, you and I have both been in sales for decades. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we, we wouldn't, have, wouldn't have stayed in it. It's if, more than one. Yeah, more than one. <laughs> we wouldn't have stayed in the profession had we not, A, been able to cope with the pressure, and B, actually enjoyed the the challenge and the competitive aspect of it. Yeah, and, and it's... Um, 
you know, there are there are moments that I enjoy it more than others. And with any job, there are going to be things you like and there are things that are going to be difficult. And it's just it's the reality of it. As we open the conversation, this is one piece that you don't miss. But I would imagine that there are pieces of it, and like you said, the adrenaline and the high, and when you close that big deal, when you hit the number, and, and when the team comes together, that is really so satisfying that you have just worked and sprinted and you make it over the finish line. And there may be a feeling of ex- exhaustion, but there's also a feeling of exhilaration and yeah, you kind of have to thrive on it if you're going to um, survive and actually thrive in the role. Because I think that's that's the goal for me of whatever it is that I'm doing, that I not just survive in the role, but that I really thrive in it. And that's what I want for the people who I work with. I want them to be able to not just survive, but also to really thrive in the roles that they're in. All right. So you said you're at the end of the quarter. So when you look back at your entire career of selling, what's sort of the craziest end of quarter story you have? The craziest thing you did to get a deal at the end of a quarter? What's a okay? So like, as a I have to think back as an individual contributor, and maybe you have one in mind while I'm thinking about it. Well, I've got. Dozens. Okay, name one. Okay, start one. I'd love to hear yours first. It'll, it'll. I, I'm so in the moment of this one. I'd love to hear your one of your stories. Andy, well, I mean, one, right one that was early in my career when I was uh, selling computers. Um, you know, pretty good sized computers that you know we laugh at today in terms of capabilities, but. Uh, at the end of June was the end of a particular bonus period for the managers in our branch office. And thus I was working at this large, large computer company. And then so branch managers across the country, May and June were their bonus months. And so pretty much anything that wasn't nailed down was going to be shipped out the door to, to customers. And there's particular, uh, add-on disk drives, so big standalone disk drives. Now imagine this, if you will. This was a device that was stood about four and a half, five feet tall. I don't know, four and a half feet tall, let's say. And it's about the size of a small refrigerator. And it held 64 KB worth of data storage. And it came in these disk platters about the size of vinyl LPs and they were stacked. There's like six of them and, and they'd fit into this machine. This would be, you know, additional add on storage. Like we'd go out and buy a, a terabyte USB drive these days. And, uh, but they cost $64,000. That was like a thousand dollars per, per kilobyte. And so they were great add ons to sell during this bonus period. So my branch manager decided on the last day of the quarter that he didn't have quite enough to hit his goal. So he sent me out to this client a client was not very happy with us to sell this ad on disk drive. And basically it was, don't come back without the order. <laughs> so <laughs> the, during the course of the day, the customer threw me out of his office literally three times. And every time I'd go back to the branch office, which only about a mile away from this customer's office and the branch manager just starts screaming at me and tell him, get back there, get, don't come back without the order. <laughs> I was, I was petrified of this guy. Actually, I was petrified of both of them, both the customer and and the uh, the branch manager. The customer is a very successful, large home builder in the in the Bay Area, 
And so finally, I wore the, I think I wore the customer down, like on my fifth visit. I just decided I was just going to wait at his car in the parking lot until he left work. And I had the order, literally had the order sheet in my hand. And that time I had you know, sheets in it, this press hard, there are three copies type thing. Um, and eventually got it. I don't think I was particularly proud of it, but, uh, you know, I was sent out on a mission and came back with the order. Oh, gosh, Andy, get those days. You know, I don't have to imagine those disk drives because I sold them. So I know exactly <laughs> what you are describing. It would mortify anybody that is uh, uh, doing professional selling these days. Doing professional selling these days. Uh, definitely. Gosh, that was the story that I was thinking of is similar, just in that. We going and sitting in lobbies and waiting, and essentially we now stalk people on the internet, and we we have we know when they opened emails and how right. they looked at presentations, and we know when if they're call if they're <laughs> checking in from a mobile device. We did old fashioned stalking. Used to stalk like, in person, right? <laughs> stalk in person, and I think the one that was the craziest was end of quarter, and we would do these drop bys. And I was traveling with a rep. Um, my the headquarters was in San Francisco, and I'd flown out to Toronto to do you know end of the quarter drop mm-hmm. eyes. And this rep had planned the schedule for the day. And the last person we went to visit, um, he, we're driving out, and I don't know Toronto well, but I can tell clearly we are now in a neighborhood. We are in a neighborhood, and it's a pretty sketch neighborhood. And I said, "Where are we?" who are we going to see? Who are we going to drop by? And he said, oh, this, we're going to see XYZ person at this company. And they had downloaded a a white paper. So we're going to go drop in. And literally, Andy, we, it was this person's home. It was, you know, two people working out of the home who, of all things, they downloaded a white paper. Imagine the horror of somebody showing up on your doorstep because you downloaded a white paper. I have been loath to put in any details about me since that day. So, you know, we we stalked, we but we stalked physically. We went out and let me tell you, it's not cost effective, it's not time no, effective. No, it's, no. Nothing about it is really nothing about it's worthwhile. Yeah. I mean just and the thing is yeah, it goes against your instinct, hopefully. I mean, for me, I, I hated that type of thing. And, and, oh, totally. And I had another one later on in career where a customer had committed to give us an order uh, before the end of the quarter. And a pretty good-sized order, and it was the quarter was somewhat dependent on it for this company, a startup. And the CEO was, you know, I, the customer was in Chicago, and like I was in the office, and the CEO is like, do you have that order yet? Uh, no. So, so, so why are you here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, exactly. Why what you aren't doing? you in Chicago? So I literally got on the plane, went to Chicago, you know, sat in the customer's office, thought we had it all worked out and so on, but just, you know, needed his signature. And uh, there's just no way I was going to get it while I was there. I had to go home. And so I went home and this was bump, bumping up against the, uh, the Christmas holiday. Oh, no. And by Christmas Eve, you know, we hadn't gotten it. So the CEO comes to my office and said, so call him. <laughs> I said, it's Christmas Eve. You're uh-huh. in California. It's like 7 p.m. Yeah. Christmas Eve in Chicago. Yeah. 
We yeah. don't have the order column. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Oh god. Yes, he was I... not. The customer was not not happy. And we we did get it, but it, it the next week actually we didn't get it that day. But uh, that that took a while to recover in the relationship for that. Yeah, I'll bet it did. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet. Yeah, and I was said I at that point I mean I was still fairly young in my career. <laughs> at that point I just said forget it, no more. I don't care. I don't care what you say. Yeah, I'm going to do it my way from here That's on out, right. which is a much better way of doing it. But yeah, the things we do. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure you're I'm, out there. All your all your charges out in the sales floor are walking in fear as you walk out on the sales floor today saying, where are the deals that you promised are going to close today? Oh, oh, believe me. I am. I, I, I don't know that I'm always at my best self at the end of a quarter. I try to I try to be. But it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of. Uh, meditation and practice to stay <laughs> to, to be able to sort of have that that right balance of um, you know how much pressure do you put on where do you come in to help just it kind of ha- how do you wa- how do you walk that line so that it's um, effective rather than you know just demoralizing or difficult or yeah well, I think one thing is I after that point and that was still before I had taken on a really large, like a VP role. So that was sort of, once I had done that and yeah, really, especially at startups, I really started focusing on, okay, how do we eliminate this, this hockey stick effect, which really encourages that, that bad behavior at the end of quarters, you know, how do we level load our month so the customers aren't just waiting until the last week of the quarter to give us the order, knowing right. they're going to get, get, get a discount or something. Yeah, and <clears throat> perhaps because our our quarter is a month off, so our quarter ends end of April as opposed to a traditional calendar aligned quarter. Um, it's a bit of a head fake for the customers, so they don't they don't necess- they're not going to intuit that our quarter ends end of April, and sometimes that works in our favor, and sometimes it doesn't. Oh, because they're wondering what the urgency is. Yeah. Hmm. So, so, um, and I, I typically don't like to play that card with a customer because if we're really trying to map our selling process to the buying process, then we shouldn't, it, it really shouldn't matter, um, to the, it should matter to the customer what our, what our quarter is. It's, it's what makes sense for them when, when buying. Yeah. Well, and to some degree you have to, you have to get I don't know I was going to say calm but you, at some degree you have to accept that some deals are just going to come next quarter yeah that's that's it's funny it goes all the way up the chain mm-hmm. so the the sales rep doesn't like to get that news or uh, sort of accept that from the customer the manager doesn't like to accept that from the sales rep the VP doesn't like to accept that from the manager and the CEO doesn't like to accept that from the VP. So it is this long chain of needing to kind of get people to accept all the way up or all the way down. Yeah. Typically all the way up. Well, and I think that's why it's really important for managers to say at the beginning of the quarter or even, you know, depending on your sales cycle, the quarter before and really be able to map out with each deal when the decision is going to happen. Right. And obviously you don't have complete control over that, but if you do your job, you can, you can put it into a window with the highest degree of probability and try to make sure that that doesn't align with the last week of the quarter. Right. 
Well, as as you've probably heard many times, and I certainly have, and I'm sure that I say it, uh, pipeline solves all problems. You have a good pipeline, you can you're not going to put as much pressure on a single deal to close. You know, if you've got healthy pipeline and you've got good, uh, sort of relatively good deal control throughout the pipeline, those individual deals are going to be less of an issue. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes the businesses I was working in, we were selling really large ticket items, right? So it was very lumpy, or could be very lumpy. So it became much more of a challenge than something that was much more transactional to plan your quarter and to forecast appropriately and to make sure they hit in the time frame because if they didn't it's a pretty big swing yeah and that's that's a good point andy is the these big huge deals do create lumpiness as we're moving to more and more companies and products and services sort of uh, being more of a SaaS model which typically um doesn't have the same uh, ticket uh, ticket price you know it's not it's not typically as expensive we're we're able to have a little bit it's it's it tends to be a little bit more transactional not totally but mm. a little bit more transactional um, which can be helpful you just have more more deal flow to help even out some of the lumpiness that you get in the big enterprise deals yeah yeah no which is is really important well we're going to take a short break we're going to come back we're going to talk about a little bit different topic uh, we sort of got got onto our quarter end frenzy at uh, the That's first right. part but we'll come back with a little bit different topic talk about uh women in sales i'll be right back with my guest bridget gleason hi this is andy connect and sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies including hundreds of technology startups and several fortune 500 companies to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. And we're back, Frontline Friday, with my guest usual guest, special guest, Bridget Gleason. And we're going to talk a little bit about, in the last segment of the show here, is, is challenges of being a woman in sales. I mean, we've I've had other guests on the show that have talked specifically about this. Uh, Lori Richardson, who's president of the mm. Women Sales yeah, Pros great. Organization, is fantastic uh, individual. I've known Lori for a long time. Um, so yourself, in your own journey, I mean, you've been in sales for a long time. And both an individual contributor, you've seen changes in how technology is affected, how sales takes place. You're sort of at the forefront of sort of one of the leading edge sales models and the sales development model that SaaS companies use. What are some of the key challenges that women still face in sales? Well, I think one of them is that there aren't many of us. And it's still, despite a lot of attempts to get more women in sales and in particular sales management, um, we're still the minority. And there's just something about being in the minority that 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 makes it more difficult. So, so I why, aren't, why aren't women more women being attracted in sales? And I, I've told the story before on the show, I think when I spoke with Lori, and she's been on a couple of times, we've talked about this, is when I started my career, um, 
you know, we hired a servant cohorts. You know, the big companies went and scooped a lot of a lot of fresh college graduates into these these management training programs, the sales training programs. And while it wasn't 50-50, men, women, at least when we started, there was there was a pretty high fraction of women. You know, it could have been 60-40 easily, at least in the branch office I was in or in the the Bay Area where I was working out of. Multiple branch offices there. Um, but gosh, it seems like it's not even that fraction. Now when I look at like uh, sales development teams, you know, it seems to be heavily dominated by males. So why did, I, I'm, when you had the conversation with Lori, did you, what, what did she hypothesize? Well, some of it, I mean, there are a lot of factors. One of the, one of the interesting factors was that, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with how the job descriptions are written. Mm-hmm. You know, they aggressive, outgoing, extroverted. I mean, they, they tend to be qualities that women don't self-identify with as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so I tend to be a little male oriented. I certainly think that's, that's one of them. Um, yeah, sometimes just the environment that they have to work in. I mean, certainly, um, you know, some of the sales environments you and I see and have been in is, is, uh, you know, little locker roomish, if you will, in some respects. Yeah. I would, I would agree with those. In fact, a friend of mine, she was an executive at Cisco and she now has a private foundation and she's doing a lot of work on women in technology mm-hmm. and not, not just in technology, but women in management, women in management positions. And they're starting with Silicon Valley and looking at why in a progressive area, why aren't we seeing more women in these positions? And one of the things that they've identified is Silicon Valley is like the last male locker room in business. And so to your point, women, I think there's two pieces. Women don't want to work there. So they, 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 they eventually, they, they self-identify out. Mm-hmm. They look at it and right. say, yeah, this is not where I want to be. The other thing is, we all of us tend to hire people who are like us. And so this is an unconscious bias. We are not doing this intentionally, but we, we, are, we gravitate toward people who are like us. So just in terms of the hiring culture, unconsciously, men are going to tend to hire more people who are like them and have those qualities that are typically male and and often come with in a male body so it sort of perpetuates it is as these unconscious biases persist we keep hiring more and more people who look like us and since more men are in these positions we end up hiring more men yeah interesting there was uh, research that's been done and and i'd have to look it up here i i uh, didn't have that prepared but when I spoke to Lori, is, is that, you know, on average, women sales reps perform at a higher level. That, you know, that their average is at quota attainment, at least based on this one research project. And again, I could, I'd find I'd referenced in an earlier episode that, you know, it's a relatively significant gap. Yeah. And so, and so, and so you're saying, well, gosh, I look at it and say, okay, well, what do buyers want these days? And the problem with so much sales hiring is that, 
yeah, as you said, people sort of hire people like themselves, but they also sort of fall back on these stereotypical and really uh, not helpful uh, features or qualities they want in people. You also have the aggressive extrovert, blah, 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 hunter, da, 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 as opposed to, you know, what do customers want, right? Well, customers want somebody who's curious, who's a problem solver, who's analytical, who's empathetic. Uh, and then that's how you build the relationships that, uh, that help you sell. And yet we still seem to be hung up on these old traits that we think we need to hire. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that study, which I've also seen before that, that women tend to have better results, which also points to the fact that the reason that they're not in sales is not because they can't cut it or they can't do it or they're not skilled at it or it's not a good fit. It's one, either they're choosing not to do it or they're not being given the opportunity to do it. Um, so it's, it, it's going to be an interesting thing to change. I've, I've said before when I've sat on panels about on this topic that if it were a female-dominated, if sales were female-dominated, I'd want to have more men in, in that environment because I think it's the, it's the balance and it's the, the back and forth. There's a lot to learn from one another in mm-hmm. this. And a- again, if it were, were female-oriented and dominated, I would say, we should. what can we do to help get more men in this role? Because there's lots of things that we can learn from one another. And in, in fact, one of them, I had this conversation with my CEO last night. Um, as a woman, or just as Bridget, okay, so maybe it's female, maybe it's Bridget, I am emotional. I'm emotional. I care. I, I, it's, it, and part of that is, uh, is female, that we tend to be um, more relationship-oriented. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just the way I am. And w- our conversation yesterday was his coaching to me about being better at compartmentalizing some of the the ups and downs that I may go through about being angry at something or happier um, and and just learning to be better at compartmentalizing and i I know for him he's an awesome CEO he's a guy his name is Ramin Sayer and he's just I respect him so much I learned so much from him. And I look at the immense pressure that he's under and his ability to move through the day with a lot of equanimity is something I can really learn from because I, I tend to wear more emotions on my sleeve than I'd like to. Mm-hmm. So it's an area that I'm working on. And I think as women, it's, it's something that um, I talk about with other women quite a bit. So I like learning some of it from my male counterparts. My male counterparts are much better at saying, I deserve this. I want this. Give me this. Promote me. Look at what I've done. They're much, they're much better at that. And learning how to um, stand up and ask for things is, not, is one area that women are, are often um, cited as not being as skillful mm-hmm. saying I'm ready for a promotion or I feel like I deserve one where 
Men typically, I don't have much problem with that. So there, there are things that I, that I learn by observing my male counterparts that have definitely made me a better business person and a better leader and a better manager. And I believe and I've been told that there are things that they also get from interacting with me and my style and with other women, things that they also learn and, and also help them to be better leaders and managers and um, co-workers. So, so I think it's, it's, it's a balance. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, th- I think that's absolutely true. Is um, in your own hiring, I mean, do you find yourself, I mean, if you were to look at the people you've hired over the years as a manager and a sales leader, have you hired a higher fraction of women than your male counterparts? No. Or just I, given that the, the pool maybe isn't available. That- the pool, right. The pool isn't available, especially in management. I have to look hard. So it's, it's, it's just the pool that's available. And I think there's a lot of self, especially as you get to the management level, they're, they're, they're weeding themselves out or getting weeded out that by the time you get to, let's say, a management level, um, it's just a smaller pool. Hmm. Well, we're going to have to spend more time on that and because I want to explore that that more because I think it's a really important topic because to me, sales being a merit, really a meritocracy, a true meritocracy in so many respects is really the field I would think that everybody would want to get into, right? Regardless of gender, because, hey, you're rewarded based solely on your efforts for the most right. part, right? As opposed to line jobs and so on. Right. And so, you know, to me, it seems like it should be equally attractive to women as well as men. And especially with what we're trying to, what we're trying to do in terms of service we provide to our buyers, which, you know, automation notwithstanding that a lot of it's coming into sales, it's still ultimately a people business and a relationship business. And as you pointed out, is is oftentimes those are skill areas that that come more naturally to women than to men, without stereotyping people. Right. Right. Well, it'll, I'll, I'll look forward, Andy. Obviously, this is a topic I know something about. Um, <laughs> you should. That's why I brought it up. I know how it feels. Yes. <laughs> um, and I will look forward to it. All right. Well, maybe not the next one, but maybe here in the near future, we'll get back into it again. And as always, Bridget, I want to thank you for being my guest on Fridays. And likewise, Andy, a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of, uh, rest of the day. Um, I'm going to get back to the end of the quarter. Go close and orders. I'm going to go close some deals. All right. And I thank everybody for listening today. And we'll be back with you next Friday on Frontline Friday. This is Andy Paul. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.